welcome to Simply Christian, a podcast diving deep into the essentials of the Christian faith, heresies, and everything in between. I'm Isaac. And I'm John. Dude. Gross. What's up, man? <laughs> Not much, dude. I'm so I'm so tired. But I am I'm ready to record this episode. Um, yeah. So dude, we're talking about the Trinity. We're talking about the Trinity. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. excited. Me I'm too. So excited about Me too. It. Yep. I think this is one of those doctrines that most Christians, or at least many, don't understand. Yeah. They don't understand what it is, how it works. Um, they don't understand why it's so central to Christianity. And even if they do, they might not be able to defend it when someone attacks their view. For sure. Yeah. And on that, like with the trying to defend it especially as this is a this is an issue that today the trinity um and has been under attack for a long time and it's just a central thing that a lot of cults will go after um so let me put you listeners on the spot just for a moment and just to kind of put you in a scenario how might you handle yourself if you were in a situation where you come in contact with let's say a mormon uh so-called jehovah's witness a black hebrew israelite a muslim Someone who says to you, you Christians, listen, you guys have been deceived. I care about you. I want to try to bring you out of this deception. The Bible doesn't teach such nonsense as the Trinity. First of all, the word Trinity is not even used in the Bible. You're trying to claim that there are three gods, um, but the Bible teaches monotheism. And not only that, I got a bunch of Bible verses for you to show that you are incorrect about the Trinity. How might you respond, listener? to this accusation or attack against the Trinity. Yeah, or even if you place yourself in a more low-pressure situation, if you're in a Bible study and someone asks, you know, I read somewhere about the Trinity, what does that mean, and do we believe this? Absolutely, yep. comes in all different forms, and we, uh, hopefully in this podcast, we're going to really dive deeply into this, this episode and next. So just, bro, what's the plan? How are we going to tackle such a big subject such as the Trinity? How are we going to get into this? Yeah, dude. So... One bite at a time, just like you eat an, an elephant. But <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I think first we're going to define the doctrine of the Trinity. Then we'll explain what it's not. We'll explore the most common objections. And then in the next episode, we'll go into the scriptures to understand why the church is held so dearly to this beloved truth of a triune God. Absolutely. And just since we're um, simply Christian, doing this Bible refresh, and a big emphasis of what we're about here is trying to discern this theological triage or theological quadrage, as we've kind of coined, um, we got to determine, if you listeners can remember from the last episode, us categorizing what level certain issues rise to. Is this something, is the Trinity a doctrine that we can just kind of say, all right, well, you maybe don't believe it and you want to teach something different. I believe the Trinity, but we're going to continue to have fellowship. You're my brother. You're my sister in Christ, even though you reject the Trinity and uh, uh, don't see it as a biblical doctrine. Um, or is this something that we're going to jump right in and say, look, you're, you're not a brother in the faith. Um, you're not somebody who is holding to historic Christianity. We cannot do fellowship. We cannot do worship together. What do you, where do you put this? Where do you put this issue of the Trinity? I would say... Level one. Level one. This is level one sword. I think it's level one. Yeah. I do. Yep. Although, one caveat with that, I would say, mm. one caveat would be, um, I think that it's possible for someone to be misled about this issue, at least for a time, yeah. um, and believe incorrectly about, um, about the Trinity. I think that kind of gets into 
little bit of what you went through. Absolutely, for sure. I have a testimony with this, and um, and I had a lot of people be very gentle with me, particularly as I struggled with um, the doctrine of the Trinity for six, seven years. Um, and so I'm glad that even though I have a lot of people in my past, pastors and uh, fellow Christians who also saw this as a level one issue, they respected that caveat that you brought up of, all right, I think my brother John here is, he's a Christian. He's just struggling to understand the Trinity. Um, so for me, yeah, uh, I was a Christian for about nine months and all of a sudden you get the knock at the door and it happened to be some Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, and I remember hearing about the Trinity. I was taught it in church, but I remember I always was like, what does that mean? What is the Trinity? Like, I hear them talk about it. It seems to be somewhat important, but I don't really know. I kind of know about Jesus and who he is. He's the son of God and sort of the Holy Spirit. But it, so it was just kind of just this ethereal like thing that people around me believed. Um, and I saw some importance too, but I wasn't really sure why. Until one day, the knock at the door, some Jehovah's Witnesses, and let him in. And I was just like, all right, you know, here's some people with some Bibles. Let's talk. Let's hang out. Let's see what happens. Um, and I had no idea what door I was opening up for the next six, seven years of my life. That still even impacts me to this day that um, after doing some Bible studies with them, welcoming them over my house for months and months, uh, eventually, I started going to the Kingdom Hall um, right after church on Sunday, and so I was doing double duty. I would go to uh, the church, you know, 10 a.m., and then afterward go to the Kingdom Hall and um, came close to becoming a Jehovah's Witness. And the linchpin, underpinning, central issue that made me feel like I needed to become a Jehovah's Witness was the Trinity. That was the number one attack that they did. There were some other issues that they disagreed with in our church, um, in my teachings, but the main issue was who is Jesus Christ? Who is the Holy Spirit? You are supposed to be monotheistic as a Christian, and you've been believing this trinity with multiple gods. Jesus Christ here, we have many passages to show you he is not God. The Holy Spirit, we have passages to show you that he's not God. So we have the truth. And man, I was thrown for a loop um, for years and years, and I just knew I did not want to become a Jehovah's Witness. Um, but I was convinced that they were right, particularly about this issue. And in my heart of hearts for years, uh, probably two, two and a half years, I was still going to church, still trying to be Christian and not a Jehovah's Witness. But I, I was just like, man, they got the truth. They're right about this issue. Um, and so that really threw me. Um, and so maybe for you guys, if you're listening, um, maybe you haven't experienced it this deeply. Maybe you have. Maybe you're in agony over is the Trinity actual true doctrine. I think you're going to find benefit to this to this as we kind of flesh this out. What is the Trinity? Because it's such a beautiful doctrine. Now me coming out the other side of this as a as a Christian man who is full on rejected wholesale um, Jehovah's Witness doctrine. Um, the Trinity is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful doctrine that not only uh, can impact your mind as you study theology, but also your heart as you just <laughs> bask in the glory of our triune, glorious, glorious God. So we'll get into it here. Um, awesome, dude. Yeah, that's that's an awesome testimony. That's that's really cool, man. Um, yeah, so let's define the Trinity. How, how would you start defining the Trinity? Yeah. What is the Trinity? Um, 
if you are going to meet somebody who's ever going to ask you questions about it, I think it's just good to have a basic understanding of it. And a simple way would, to describe it is that there is one God, only one God, who reveals himself in three distinct persons um, who are all individual and separate, in a sense, from each other. Um, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. Yet there is only one God. And so we hold to the, both of those truths that the Bible says repeatedly, multiple times, we must submit to the truth that there is only one God. There's not three gods. There's not a hundred gods. There's one God, no others. But at the same time, when the Bible says that Jesus is God, that the Holy Spirit is God, that they are distinct from one another, we also have to submit to that as well. And so what we as Christians do, we just simply let the Bible speak. If the Bible says one thing uh, on one page and it says another thing on another page, we allow them both to be true and we don't say, well, I'm going to brush one to the side because this page over here I really think is has the truth. Um, and we'll get into that as we unpack this doctrine, but the Trinity is simp a, simply a, a solution to a, uh, an issue in the Bible that we see where it says there's one God who was revealed in three persons and each of these persons are fully God. How about the common objections? Yeah, definitely. We got some common objections that come up all the time. I just really want to say before we can just decide, go into the common objections, I think it's important to describe what the, what the Trinity is not. What the Trinity is not is Christians saying that there are three gods. Again, and I already said that, but it's important to say because as you're getting these common objections, it's, it's, uh, it's good to bring some clarity to show this is not a tr like three gods uh, issue. This is, again, one God revealed in three distinct persons. Also, another thing that this is not is one God wearing three different masks. You know, um, a common example that gets brought up is me. I'm a father. Um, I'm also a son. And I'm also a minister that people will say, well, that's God being triune, just like you are. You're um, one person, but you're, you have three different manifestations of who you are. That is not what the Trinity, Trinity is either, because when I am a father, I'm not a different person when I'm a son. I'm not a different person when I'm a minister. Um, I'm still the same person, just manifesting myself in three different kind of roles, whereas the Trinity is three distinct persons. It's not... God wearing a, the Father mask and then taking that off and wearing the Son mask, taking that off and wearing the Holy Spirit mask. Again, it's one God, but three distinct persons. So I guess the way that f would flesh out uh, is like the persons would have interaction with each other. Yes, right? absolutely. There'd be a relationship between each other. Whereas with you, with three different masks, you don't, your father role doesn't talk to your son role. And <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And as and especially into the next episode, as we get into that, we'll see how the scripture really presents this undeniable, inescapable reality that there are three distinct persons within this one God uh, that we worship and that we serve. But yeah, so many scriptural objections. Um, yeah, what do you got? What are, what are some common ones that um, you might hear in opposition to the Trinity? Well, as far as like common objections um, outside of the ones that people try to use from scripture, mm. I'd say the common objections, number one, the one I, I think I've heard many times is the word Trinity is never used in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. How do we come at that? Um, it's one that can really stop you in your tracks at first because you're like, man, 
we hold this so central, but this word isn't even in the Bible. We hear grace in the Bible. We hear Jesus. We hear the cross. But all of a sudden, we're being told to believe the Trinity, but the Trinity is not in the, even in the Bible. At the same time, though, we have to admit, though, that there are many words that we hold to today, which are our um, putting verbiage to a biblical truth that is comprised not only in one verse of the Bible, but also in a whole book or a whole covenant, the whole New Testament, or even the whole Bible itself. It's just a word that we bring to the table to make sense of a big theological teaching. One of them is omnipresence. You know, we think of God as everywhere, always. There is no space, there's no molecule where God is, or that exists that God is not. God is everywhere. He knows everything. He is fully present everywhere. But the word omnipresence is not in the Bible. We cannot find the word omnipresence in the Bible. Um, we also don't find omniscience. Um, we also don't find the word Bible in the Bible. But at the same time, we also understand that these are truths that we have and that we submit to. God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. Um, he is omniscient. He knows everything. And while the words omniscient, omnipresent, um, uh, you know, are, are not in the Bible, we also understand that they're very much true. And so it's the exact same with the Trinity. The Trinity is a scriptural teaching um, that we have put a word to to make sense of in a concise manner rather than having to go on with paragraphs and paragraphs to describe something that we can just simply sum up with the word Trinity. Yeah, that's good. That's good, man. All right. Um, what's another? Can you think of a, a common objection outside of the scriptural ones? Yeah. Um, you know, just doesn't make sense. Um, people say it doesn't make sense. And there's no earthly example that we can really come up with that would show a parallel. How are we supposed to submit to this? And I, in a very real sense, um, sympathize with this. When people say this, look, John, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's something that we cannot put a earthly example parallel to and say this is exactly what it's like. Um, so therefore, here's a, here's a way to relate to it. It's unique. It is a mystery in a lot of senses, and I definitely, um, again, I sympathize with it. But again, though, there are many things about God that are so far beyond us. Um, the Bible says that His ways are not our ways. Um, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are His ways above our ways. Um, the secret things belong to God, but what are uh, revealed are for us. And so when you think of the eternality of God, God is just, this is mind-bending. God has always existed. There was never a time when he did not exist. Think about that for a second. It doesn't make sense. And you think, well, okay, maybe he created time. Okay. What was things like before he created time? Was there a before? Was before there a before time? time? And if there was, no, <laughs> if there's no time, how was there a before time? No matter what, you're really stuck with this just mind blowing concept Inception. that you cannot really fully understand. And so with the Trinity, I believe it's the exact same thing. If the Bible says God is eternal, I'm going to submit to it. I don't fully understand it, but I submit to it. My God is eternal. Same with the Trinity. If the Bible teaches it, my understanding comes secondary. I really, it makes me sit in awe of this God that I cannot comprehend. How do you do this, God? One God, three persons. How do you do this, God? You've always existed. Mm. It blows my mind. And it makes me just kind of be in more more of awe, yeah, more yeah. awe of God, <laughs> yeah. really at the end. So, so what about some scriptural objections? I, I can think yeah. of one. How could Jesus be God if he prays to the Father? Was he praying to himself? Yeah, 
Yep, you get passages like this. Yep, um, John 17, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus just before his death on the cross. Who's he praying to? If he's God, who is he praying to? Short answer, he's praying to the Father. Simple as that. I think it kind of goes back to what the Trinity is not. And I think that having a good understanding of what the Trinity is, is just as important of having a good understanding of what it's not. Because if you sit and you try to speak with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, and you say, hey, yeah, Jesus is God. And they say, well, who was he praying to? And then you're stuck thinking, oh, well, Jesus is God. So we can't, was he praying to him? And then you get stuck. Again, it's not saying that God is wearing is is wearing three different masks. Um, this is simply Jesus is praying to his father. Simple as that. Mm. But we also submit to the passages which say Jesus is God, um, which again we'll get into. But you don't have to throw away one truth in light of another truth. You accept both truths. Jesus prays to his father. His father speaks to Jesus Christ. Um, but this in no way takes away from the fact that Scripture clearly says Jesus is God. Right, right. Okay. Here, let me take one. I think I, I, think I got one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's another one. It's, didn't God create Jesus? And I think people usually, they'll go to a place like Colossians 1 and verse, I think it's verse 15, where it says, talking about Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, right? So they're like, see, he's the firstborn, meaning like if you're born, you're made at some point, right? He might, maybe he's the first thing that was ever made because they, they acknowledge that everything was made through him, but they think like God made the son and then the son made everything. Yes. But that's, that's not right. But what does this firstborn mean? Because like to our Western ears, it sounds like that's what it's saying. But to Eastern ears... That's not what it would sound like at all. To Eastern ears, the firstborn is the one who has the rights over everything. He's the one that gets the inheritance, right? So when it says firstborn of all creation, many translations like the NIV, the CSB, they'll say firstborn over all creation to kind of get at what it's actually meaning there. Meaning that Christ is the one who has authority over all creation. He's the inheritor of all creation. Yes, he's the maker as well, which it gets into a little bit later. But he's the one who who owns it. He has the rights over it. It's his inheritance. It, it's his, and he he gets to make the rules. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, because that with that, I mean, you you get with the Eastern ears. Um, Exodus chapter four, verse twenty-two. Um, God is speaking uh, to Pharaoh, and he says. Um, Verse 22, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Speaking of Israel, nation of Israel, Israel was not the first nation ever. It's actually enslaved to a nation that kind of pre-existed it. Um, but you have nations going all the way back from the time of Abraham, times of Noah. Um, this is not the first nation ever, but it's the firstborn. Although it's not first in order, it's first in preeminence. And so when you get back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the, the, the common tact that a Jehovah's Witness will say is, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
obviously he's the firstborn. Um, but we get back to the idea of this is preeminence. He is over all creation. And then you just say, all right, well, let's keep reading in Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Then verse 16, for by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And so we have this Jesus who is just like the consummate reality of all things. Goes on to say he is the in him the uh, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Yeah, you dude, know. Like, and so it's just like all right, Jehovah's uh, Witness. I know you want to look at verse fifteen, which is great, and I want to look at verse fifteen as well. But let's just go on to sh- where this passage just goes on to show Paul is bending over backwards to say everything that was created, everything that has a beginning, came into being through Jesus Christ. Hmm. That. If Jesus Christ came into being, if he was a created being, then he would have had to have created himself for this passage to have made sense because Jesus is the creator of everything that has a beginning. Um, and so, yeah, oftentimes with a, with a witness, you'll want to make sure, let's not just look at one verse, let's look at a whole section of scripture. Um, mm-hmm. That's good, dude. That's good. Uh, another one. Isn't the Father greater than Jesus? Doesn't mm. the Bible say that? Mm-hmm. Yep. John chapter 14, verse 28. Um, let's just look at it real fast. Um, Jesus is uh, in his last hours with his disciples, um, and he says, you assert, you've heard that it said, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Um, a very common objection. Uh, you'll hear it a lot from Jehovah's Witnesses cited right on their lips. Um, pretty pretty much at the onset of when you begin this discussion. The Father is greater than Jesus. If Jesus is God, how could he possibly say this? Um, This again gets to us saying what the Trinity is not. This is not Jesus. We're not saying Jesus is the Father. And so when it comes to the greater aspect, the Greek word here is meizon. Um, It comes into play a whole lot. Um, You'll hear it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, when Jesus also says... um, Greater, no, nobody has been born of, no person born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. And so we're asked, forced to ask ourselves if greater means superior of a higher level, am I greater than John the Baptist? Am I superhuman and he's subhuman compared to me? No, at the end of the day, we're both equal in value and dignity and worth. Um, we're both made in the image of God. I'm not greater in that sense, but. My esteem, my role is greater than John the Baptist because I am a person indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a participant in the new covenant. Mm. You also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5, it says, He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. Again, it's not saying one is better. It's just saying their role is greater. One who speaks a prophecy to the church is actually greater in that, in that context than somebody who speaks in a tongue. Um, and so with Jesus Christ, we see all through scripture, yes, his father is greater than him, even in eternity. First Corinthians 15, 28 says the, the son will submit to the father. Um, so mm-hmm. while we hold very much that that's true, Jesus Christ does submit to his father. 
Mm, um, that's it, good. It in no way takes away from, again, if you guys listen in the next episode, some of these very strong indicators, clear, inescapable passages that Jesus Christ himself is God. And so we just hold to both truths. Yes, Jesus Christ says his father is greater than him. He prays to his father. But this does not take away from the host of scriptures that also says Jesus Christ himself is God, God in his fullness. Right. And, you know, on that point, too, uh, I think in Ephesians, it uh, says that the son submits to the father, the, um, the wife submits to the husband. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you the problem is, if you take that view that because it says greater or submit, like if the son submits to the father, therefore um, the father is is a better God or, mm-hmm. you know, something mm-hmm. along those lines or whatever yeah. to diminish the deity of Christ. Yes. You are also diminishing the value of the wife yes. in that passage, right? Yes. And so it's a, it's a, it's like you were saying, it's, it's a superiority in role, yeah. but not in value or worth or personhood or, or anything like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, the role mm-hmm. And the mission, like the father, is is greater in in that sense. Would you say that's absolutely? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, in, in his role, um, Jesus submits to, yeah. um, and it's beautiful. And that could be a whole other podcast. But submission is a beautiful thing, and in no way implies inferiority. Submission right. is a very wonderful thing. Um, just on that, yeah. First Corinthians eleven verse three. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. And again, this is a gotcha passage from Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll say, well, God is the head of Christ. But just like you said, yes, and man is the head of a woman. I'm the head of my wife. But at the end of the day, my value is in no way uh, greater than hers. She is an equal human being. Um, but my role is head over my wife. Um, and so fully, fully, this is a beautiful picture as the doctrine of the trinity begins to unfold you start to see these particulars this beauty where it's like jesus and his father have such an intimate relationship that they're not the same person they're distinct from each other and they relate to one another and it's so beautiful to just think of jesus and his father and the oneness and the unity that they have in their distinctness in their separateness how one they are and how beautiful this is, this doctrine of the Trinity. So again, as it unfolds, I just hope you'll take a second to pause of the and sit in just the glory of God that we have a triune God and how majestic it is, um, how he interacts even within his own uh, being, which is God, to see three persons interacting in such a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Man, that's awesome. I can think of one more. Yeah. One more objection. Sure. Um, this is actually kind of relevant to me because I've just been studying this passage. So I know in Matthew... Uh, somewhere in there, uh, it says, Jesus, when he's talking about like this end, the end times, says, I, I don't know the day or the hour, only the Father knows, yeah. right? Yeah. So how is it that Jesus didn't know something? Uh-huh. If he's God, isn't he omniscient? Isn't he all-knowing? Right. Yes. Well, I mean, so this, this gets into something that I hope that we can flesh out a little bit more, um, particularly in the next episode. But the simple answer is there are many things in Jesus' humanity that he didn't know. You even see right from the very beginning in Luke chapter 2, um, verse 40, the child 
when Jesus was 12 years old after he um, goes missing in the temple. Um, it says, The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And so in Jesus and his humanity, he experienced a whole lot of things that he and his pre-incarnate glory of God never experienced. He experienced hunger. He slept during the middle of the storm. You know, he was tired. Um, he experienced temptation. He experienced all these things in his fullness and his humanity. And we read in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, um, We do not have a great high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Jesus experienced our weaknesses. And so there are many things that Jesus in his humanity, yes, didn't know. Um, so Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 um, is again one of those passages that will get brought up a whole lot by a witness um, by even Muslims. I've heard of Muslims uh, bringing this passage up. It says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And so I believe that this is Jesus speaking in his humanity here, that in his consummate glory right now, in heaven glorified as fullness of deity, he knows the day or the hour. But on his in his incarnation, in his human side, the side that got hungry, the part of him that uh, felt pain, the part of him that needed to take a nap, <laughs> you know, and go to bed at night. Um, this is his humanity speaking. He does not know the day or the hour. Um, but I hold this 100% to be true while at the same time acknowledging the many scriptures that we'll get into, especially in the next episode that declare undeniably Jesus Christ is God, fully omniscient, fully knows everything, all powerful. Um, and so absolutely, uh, I believe this passage is just talking about his humanity, him and his human nature, 100% truly human, fully human. Um, yeah, does not know the hour. Mm. That's good, man. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up today's episode. Please consider subscribing and hang around for the next episode where we will get into all the scriptures that talk about the deity of Christ and the Trinity. And until next time. <laughs>